Hi there, I'm Chloe Veltman. Welcome to our Book of the Day podcast. Pop culture happy hour host Aisha Harris has built a career on examining how culture shapes people's lives. In her new essay collection from HarperCollins titled Wannabe, the author and critic shares some of the many ways in which culture has shaped her own life growing up in 1990s America. In a lively conversation with another NPR Aisha, Aisha Roscoe, Harris talks about her childhood passion for sex and the city and the challenges of critiquing art produced by black creators as a black critic. Let's go to Aisha Roscoe. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu with Black Twitter, A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, Black Twitter, A People's History tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, A People's History, premieres May 9th, streaming on Hulu. What makes you, you? For some, it's the culture you consume, the books you read, the movies and TV you watch, the music you just can't get enough of. Aisha Harris definitely counts herself in that group. And yeah, she's the other Aisha at NPR, the very talented host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. She's written a new book called Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. And we just had to talk to her about it because we had to have an attack of the Aishas at NPR. <laughs> so welcome, Aisha Harris. Yes, I'm ready to conquer the world with my fellow Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. We have to start with your first essay, and this is not just because we share a name, but the first essay of the book is about your name. You write that you took a lot of pride in the idea that your name came from a Stevie Wonder song, Isn't She Lovely? But then you learn that's not quite the case. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, it's it's funny because I don't know if you've experienced this as well as a fellow Aisha, but growing up and being a millennial who grew up in the in the 90s, there's a different song that a lot of people would recognize <laughs> more so than the Isn't She Lovely song, and that song is uh called Aisha by Another Bad Creation. And that song was a top 10 hit, and people like to sing it to me uh, when they meet me sometimes as a way of like... <laughs> and you didn't like this. I did not like this um, because I, you know, there there were a lot of things going on there. I thought it was a lesser song. It wasn't as prestigious or like notable as a Stevie Wonder song. I mean, I still think that. But I also kind of wanted to unpack in that essay how it wasn't just about that, but it was also about some like deep-seated, uncomfortable feelings I had about being Black and how that song kind of felt like a song that I didn't want to have my name attached to because it felt, you know, I use the word ghetto and I use that in quotes because that was kind of the word that was used when I was younger. And and I I had to sort of unpack this like deep-seated like anti-Blackness that I was kind of uh, giving off in that period. And so that essay is just kind of a journey with how I came to accept my name and its origins. One thing that you talk about in your book is what it's like being a Black critic and having to critique Black art and how that can be kind of complicated. 
Yeah. There's a scarcity mindset of like, oh, we, we've had so many years where we didn't have this kind of representation. When I review this movie or this TV show, how harsh should I be if I don't like it? I count 2016 as kind of this turning point in mainstream Black pop culture where you have everything from Atlanta premiering, Insecure premieres that year, Lemonade, Rihanna's Auntie, this moment where like Black culture was sort of at this apex. And I think that because we have so many more people working in Hollywood and we have so many different types of representation now, especially of Black art, um, we should shouldn't necessarily need to be as concerned as we were 40, 50 years ago, or even 15, 20 years ago about this is good for Black people or it's bad for Black people. Like, I want to focus on is this good art, period. Um, And that can be difficult to do um, because some people, especially when you're talking about a beloved property like The Little Mermaid, for instance, with uh, Halle Bailey. Oh, no. Yeah. uh, (laughs) I did not write a kind review of that film. um, And And then people came for you. People came for me and called me (laughs) anti-Black. Some people said, you know, they're not going to make more movies if people like you review. I'm like, I'm just a critic. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I don't have that much power. Speaking of The Little Mermaid and Disney, do you think that the pop culture that we love as kids and teens, that it plays a bigger role in shaping us than maybe the things we fall in love with as adults? I definitely think they can and do because those are our most formative years, right? If you are someone like myself who grew up in front of TVs and in front of movie theaters and reading, you know, books and whatever, that stuff is going to be a huge part of how you learned about the world. What I love about being able to go back and and look at some of those things, whether it's something like The Little Mermaid or teen comedies from my youth, is that I can still enjoy them for the most part, but I can also look at back at them and say like, oh, <laughs> some of this is a little, I hate the word problematic, but like uh, it's challenging. What's the most challenging thing that you loved as a youth that you are less in love with now as a adult or that you still love as an adult, but you recognize that it's challenging? I mean, I think the one that instantly comes to mind is one that so many, especially millennials like myself, can point to, and that's Sex in the City. I grew up on that show. Like many people, it was the, the the show that made me really, really want to move to New York City and live that like young 20-something single gal gallivanting around the city and spending way too much on shoes. Um, like that was the dream, right? Yeah, yeah. People now can get so into the shows or the movies or the things that they love to the point where it becomes their entire identity. They can, you know, almost, they almost get to the level of violence. Is there a dark side to pop culture? I think a lot of it has to do with social media and how people are able to hide behind social media and really take to really extreme measures and sometimes harassing people Uh, strangers on the internet. One reason for that is because, like you said, we've turned some of these franchises and artists into our identities. And and I think it's really kind of warping our perception of what it means to be a fan and also what it means to enjoy pop culture. And I hoped that I could kind of convey the fact that, like, we don't need to put all of our identity into the pop culture that we consume. 
on the flip side of that, what do you think is the best thing about how pop culture is shaping society at this point? I never want to put too much stock in representation, but I do think that, like, the more we see different types of people and different types of scenarios and lifestyles and class and all of those things in the pop culture we consume, it does move the needle a little bit in terms of where we are going and how we treat each other. That's Aisha Harris. She co-hosts NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Her new book is Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. This has been awesome. Attack of the Aishas. We got to do this again. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks so much, Aisha. It was such a pleasure. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Breast cancer cells multiply faster because of CDK4-6 proteins. But what if blocking those proteins and stopping runaway cell division was possible? Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Dana-Farber's momentum of discovery keeps finding new ways to outmaneuver cancer. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.